the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Afternoon, everybody. Good to be with you today, as it is each and every day from 3 to 5. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. We take the issues of the day and look at them from a Christian perspective. In order to do that, one of the things that we like to do on our show is try to help people be productive in the way we talk about our faith, and in particular to the people that God has placed in your life. That's most likely we're going to have those conversations. With us to help us with that today is Greg Kokel. Greg Kokel is the founder and president of Stand to Reason. Gregory, uh, Gregory, that's what uh, his uh, bio says here. I'll ask him if it's Greg or Gregory. He received his master's in philosophy of religion and ethics and ethics at Talbot right here in Southern California. And also he received another degree in Christian apologetics from Simon Greenleaf University. He serves as an adjunct professor in Christian apologetics at Biola University. He's the author of award-winning uh, books like The Story of Reality and The Best-Selling Tactics. And his upcoming book is called Street Smarts, which focuses on the larger issues of atheism problem of evil, abortion, science, and Christianity, and more, helping you understand how to discuss those issues in a productive way. Greg Kokel, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, Pastor Scott, thank you, and thanks for calling me Greg and not Gregory, because that's what my mom used to call me when she was angry at me. So <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that. You know, I had, <laughs> I got your uh, the uh, bio, and like, Gregory, never heard yeah, that. I hope he's know, Greg. Yeah, the professional characterization, but I just go by Greg. All right. Well, they didn't put your middle name in there. Should we talk about that? Do we know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks thank for joining you. us today. Sure, sure. I'm looking forward to our conversation. You started to stand a reason uh, in... 1993, how have things changed in the way that that Christianity and apologetics is discussed? The culture has certainly changed a lot since then. Yeah, well, that's 30 years ago. This is our 30th anniversary year, and uh, I tell you, my head is spinning, uh, Pastor Scott. It, it's just, I never anticipated 30 years ago, as we began Stand to Reason, uh, in a way to train Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and then to be able to uh, defend classical Christianity and classical Christian values in the public square. I never expected the public square would change as much as it had. Mm. And, uh, and especially on these kind of cultural, moral, ethical kinds of issues. I mean, abortion is still front and center, more so than ever before since uh, the reversal of Roe versus Wade last year. Right. Um, we have, uh, I mean, that was a good thing as far as I'm concerned, but it really heated up the battlefield which means that Christians need to be more prepared, or pro-lifers in general, to be able to make their case on the street, as it were. Um, when you look at the, uh, the gender issues, my last chapter is called Marriage, Gender, Sex, and Common Sense, the last chapter of the book of Street Smarts. And the reason I added the common sense is, even though I'm approaching it from the understanding of a Christian worldview, that is my foundation, this is, my, this is uh, the, the way I understand the nature of reality, um, you don't have to be a Christian or a theist or read the Bible 
to be be able to understand most of the issues that are ethical in our culture now, because they comport with common sense. Hmm. And what we have seen now is a death of common sense. I I mean, it's it's, it's even, uh, to say it's a death of common sense, it strikes me as an understatement. The kinds of things that people are saying now are just crazy. And they, they leave us stunned, like, what planet are you living on? But I don't say this disparagingly. I'm just simply saying it's amazing what has happened, especially in the last uh, 10 years. Even since Obergefell, the Supreme Court decision, decision in 2015 to essentially legalize same-sex marriage, I thought we, you know, the cultural battle was going to quiet down. Okay, they got what they wanted, everything settled down, and right away the whole gender issue became a cause celeb. Yeah. And that was the year, by the way, 2015, when, um, uh, oh, no, I'm struggling for his name. You know, what's his name? Came out transgender, walked across the stage in that blue gown. Uh, Bruce oh, Jenner. Uh, Bruce Jenner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Weedies and Box. received the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage in Hollywood <laughs> for coming out as yeah. transgender. Like, if you want the award for courage, a pro-lifer should get that in Hollywood, not a transgender person. But anyway, these are all hallmarks of change that now has confronted us in a very, very aggressive way, because it isn't, you know, each to his own anymore, you know, a live and let live mentality. You know this. This is a cancel culture that has gone just on steroids. I think that we have a a different world also because of social media, and I think that's driving a lot of it. In fact, you know something I've noticed, Greg, and I think in one sense this is a good thing, but in another sense it troubles me sometimes. There's a lot of young Christians on there who are sharing their faith on social media. Some of them have shows and thousands and thousands of followers, and I've watched some of them, and I'm impressed that they put their faith out there in a very public way, but also sometimes what I'm hearing is not actually correct. It's not sound, not very good arguments. Mm -hmm. You know, we've noticed that too. In fact, we have a feature that's really directed at the, the problems that the young people who are, and older people too, I mean, there's no, right. we're not checking IDs for this particular <laughs> thing, but the idea is the concern is really strong with the younger folk who are using social media and listening to these uh, TikToks and seeing these memes and all this other. And the, the feature that we have on YouTube is simply called Red Pen Logic. Hmm. Red Pen Logic. I don't do it. It's another person, Tim yeah. Barnett on our team at Stand to Reason who does it. But it's very cool because he'll take the meme and he'll take the TikTok and a former teacher himself, he'll just get his red pen out and red pen it. And it's meant to show here's what's wrong with this rhetorically appealing meme so you can see the mistake that's being made because a lot of Christians are flummoxed by it. And here's how we get to this conclusion. So it's not just telling what to believe, but how to think about these things. And it's been very, very popular. Red Pen Logic on YouTube. People can see what we're talking about. But it's to meet that need you were just describing. Yeah, I've seen that, and it is excellent. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Greg Kokel uh, from Stand to Reason. What would you say are the biggest mistakes that Christians make whenever they're talking about their faith or defending uh, our faith? Okay, that's a good question. I haven't been asked it quite like that, so I'm pausing here to think about it. I'll say one of the big mistakes, and this will surprise some people, and it is the way they talk about, and I'm just going to say their faith, because that's the word you use, but I don't use that word. Mm. And I don't use that word because that is, to the ears of most people in culture and to many Christians, a relativized word. Yes. This is 
our faith. You have your faith, they have their faith, and we all just have things that we believe, and it just sits out there as our kind of our religious club, and who's to say who's right or wrong, and so it's just a leap of faith. No, I talk about, and I've used the word already, I think, in our show, the show here, our conversation. I talk about my, convic- my convictions. I talk about the way the world is structured, reality is structured. I talk about the story of reality, which is a title of a book I wrote, to uh, help people understand that what Christianity is offering is a true account of the way the world actually is. And when I say true, I don't mean true for me, obviously. I mean true like gravity is true. Yeah. I mean, if you stop believing in gravity, you're not going to float away. You know, It's true out there about the world. And I sometimes put it this way to people. I say, look, if you were 2,000 years ago, you were outside of Jerusalem on a particular day with three people being crucified, you leaned against that cross, you would have got a splinter. The blood that was flowing down from the person on that cross would have had a blood type. That's what I'm talking about. Now, of course, we need to defend that. But I just want Christians to be careful, first thing, in answer to your question, to be careful about how they communicate the nature of their convictions. It's not just our faith. It's our conviction about what is true. Okay. Mm. Second thing, though, is I don't think, and this goes right to Street Smarts in my prior book, Tactics, and for those who read Tactics, Street Smarts is a, a sequel to Tactics, taking the third step of the tactical game plan to st- on steroids, basically. As, as They'll know what I'm talking about if they read the book. So um, what, what Christian, they don't ask enough questions. And if you think about questions, questions are really powerful. And, and you're saying that the Christian doesn't ask enough that's questions, correct. right? That's, that that's the that's the tactic. That's something to really help make a better conversation. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know this because of what you do for a living. Right now, you're doing it with me. You're asking questions. And notice, right. Scott, how when you ask the question, you are directing the conversation. Yeah. I'm doing all the head lifting. I'm doing all the talking mostly. But it's going in the direction that you send it. So you're in the driver's seat even though you're not doing all the talking. That's one power of questions. Another power of the right kind of questions is it allows you to gather information about the other person's view and maybe why he believes what he believes contrary to you. Mm. That's really good, too, because now you're getting the lay of the land. It's also conversational and safe. (laughs) There's a chapter in the book, Street Smarts, titled, Questions Keep You Safe, (laughs) because when you're asking questions, you're not making statements. You make statements, then you got something to defend. Right. If you don't make statements, instead use questions creatively, as I describe in the book, that's what Street Smarts amounts to, then you're going to be in a very, very secure, safe position. And that's going to appeal to a lot of people who are a little afraid to go out in the street right now. Yeah, and it's a lot more relational, right? It's friendly. Exactly. exactly. It, yeah, and, and you learn about that person. You, know, you you talked about how shocking it is in this world today. Sometimes what we hear, you know, a person's worldview is or some belief that they have that goes against what everybody has always believed is reality. That's right. You know, Christian what, or non-Christian, right. Right. You know, sometimes I'll get a phone call and I have to really say, did he just say what he? I think he just said? Right. And, right. you know, what would you say is the best way to maintain a uh, a Christ-like composure when engaging in those difficult conversations? When something hits you and you realize okay, you are coming from this worldview or this ideology uh, that I don't even understand. We had a conversation yesterday with a grandma who congratulated her her daughter on the new baby and her new baby boy and then was shocked when she said, well, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. Like, how know, do you respond to like, that? You know, that's because the doctor assigns sex, blah, blah, blah. Right. Look at it, not to be crude, but no person assigns a penis or a vagina. That's part of the original equipment. I mean, this is part of the common sense element here. But we know where they're, where they're going and, and, and kind of what they're getting at. And then you're caught up short. And so this is where, this, this is where um, in the tactical game plan, which I spend the whole book of tactics describing, or a big portion of it, and then follow up with this book, Street Smarts, I, I have a chapter on the game plan to refresh people's memory if they've read tactics, or to bring them up to speed. Hmm. The very first step is to gather information. Yeah. So it, it, and this is where a, real, a very vital question comes in. And when you get caught on something, you hear something and you go like, OMG, in your own mind, you know, like, what next? Right. How do I say? You, you feel stuck. Ask a question. And the best kind of question that you can ask at this point, so this is something that'll get them right out of the rut, is a clarification question. And the model question that I teach is called, is, what do you mean by that? Now, that's just a model question. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the case of the grandmother, who said, what well, the baby hasn't told us, the question is going to be, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Right. I think that's a, that is a yeah, great question. Yes, that's it. Well, of course, we kind of know where they're coming from because we're in touch with what the culture is doing right now. But what we want them to say is their view. <laughs> we want them to say it right out. Mm. Or their sex isn't in the, it, the boy, being a boy or girl isn't in your body, okay? Right. It's in your mind. And so we have to wait for the child to be old enough to tell us what's in his mind. You know, I, yeah, I that's the ideology. Funny. Yes, exactly. So the thing is, we want them to spell it out for us. Yeah. And sometimes when they spell it out, um, they are, they are, um, they hear it afresh and it just spelling out something foolish ends up sounding foolish. You're right. And, and that by itself has an impact, you know? So, um, I was chuckling cause it remi- that circumstance reminds me of a joke and I probably won't get it right, but it's something like, yeah, we, we adopted, uh, a Chinese baby, but we want to. We have to learn Mandarin because we won't be able to talk to the baby when it starts to speak. Mm. Well, that's a silly thing. Obviously, right. you laugh because it's absurd. But it's the same kind of thing. We got to wait until the baby tells us. The baby's going to decide what language it's going to speak, and then yeah, be able to speak. Similar it. to the gender issue, they're yeah. both just as absurd, except for the first one. The gender one is taken very seriously now. Yeah. But I don't want to get off the point. The point is, when some Christian gets stuck with hearing something that stops them in their tracks and they don't know what to do, the rule is, ask a question and it make it some form of the question, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. I don't understand that. I'm not sure I get your point. Whatever, it's, whatever variation. And then let the other person talk. Yeah. And that buys them time, if nothing else. But it's also going to give them more information, and it's going to force the other person to take what may turn out to be a foolish statement and make it look a lot more foolish when they explain it. And that would be to our advantage. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason. Greg, you talk about the difference between harvesting and gardening, and I think that's a mindset that if a believer understands that, that also helps them with these kinds of conversations. Absolutely. Uh, there's a whole chapter on this. I've talked about it in the past in other writings, but just to, uh, I think we're coming on a break pretty soon. I don't want to crowd it, but the, 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 there are two things, obviously, in the project of evangelism, um, harvesting 
is what we think about, but there has to be gardening before there can be harvesting. There has to be sowing before there can be reaping. And our evangelism techniques are principally harvesting tools. They're little booklets with the prayer at the end. And then we get people to pray to receive Christ. Mm. What's curious to me, or if it's done in a congregation, there's an altar call, right? Right. What's curious is you will never find any altar calls anywhere in the New Testament. Right. No Gospels, no Book of Acts, no altar calls. You won't find anybody being challenged to receive Christ as Lord and Savior in the Gospels or in the Book of Acts. That is not the way they did evangelism. And in fact, it's historically new, just maybe 150 years old or, or a little bit older, the Second Great Awakening. Um, before that, what people did is gardened a lot. And what happened is the harvest kind of took care of itself. Now, I'm not against using the booklets or having altar calls, but when people think that's the only way to do it, they sit on the bench. Yeah. Okay. And what I've done here at Street Smarts is given a, a, a game plan and a methodology with sample dialogues that allows them to get out and ask the kinds of questions that will give them headway. What's the goal? Just to get people thinking. I call it putting a stone in someone's shoe. That's it. Yeah. A little here, a little there. And when all of us are doing the gardening, the harvest is going to take care of itself. That's my conviction. Yeah, I think that you're right about that, is that, you know, at some point people are going to be asked the question, they give their life, to, they cross that line, but there's been a lot of work before that. Yeah, and, exactly. I don't know, Pastor Scott, were you raised a Christian, or yeah. did you become a Christian at some point in your life? I grew up, I grew up in a pastor's home. My, oh, dad, okay. my dad's a pastor who just retired last week, and he, oh. sa- he says that I became a Christian when I decided not to be a lawyer. But actually, I was a Christian uh, really since I was a little kid. But I think once I once I got to college is when I really made the decision. You know, when I knew I could hide it. Yes. Right? Okay. You know, I'm, but I'm, I, I, I'm, the reason I asked the question is, if you ask a lot of Christians about th- when they got harvested, some will have a spiritual birth date. Oh, right. here's when I answered the altar call. But a whole bunch of people will not have the spiritual birth date. They are Christians, mm-hmm. but they don't remember when it actually happened. They just, like C.S. Lewis, he went off on a trip with his brother Warney. When he left, he wasn't a Christian. When he got back, he was. And this is the way it is for a lot of people. There isn't a harvester explicitly, an individual person. The Holy Spirit harvests the ripe fruit. And I think that's the standard method. And so if we just focus on gardening, we're going to increase the harvest, and we don't have to worry about challenging people. And I don't have to worry that I've got to get them across some finish line with yeah, whatever I do. Right. I, you don't have to swing for the fences. Right. I play a role for now, for as that's long as they're right. in my life. That's a confidence in the sovereignty of God in the process. And that's I right. think this is all over the New Testament. Yeah, it is. And I think that's really helpful for people. I think people really worry, and I think it prevents people from actually doing the gardening because they're afraid they're not going to be able to win the game or whatever it is that they decided yeah or they or they feel like they're you know they're second class spiritual citizens and i tell people when i do the speaking i when i speak on this issue i say i have not prayed with someone to receive christ in over 30 years Hmm. and i know what they're thinking what a loser you know but then i explain the kind of impact i've had in people's lives and names of people that they would recognize as significant authors right now in christianity who are actually in my garden when they were still atheists I didn't lead them to Christ, but I was functional in their coming to Christ as I gardened in their life. Yeah. We have a, uh, a world today in our culture where lots of people who have been in church their whole life are, have left the church, accelerated after the COVID. And, you know, what would you say to that person who's listening now who might be on the fence about whether or not they're a Christian or they're just discouraged about going to church? 
uh, they're not sure where they're even at. How would you address that person? Well, there's a two different issues there. One of them is uh, about going back to church, and mm-hmm. the other one is they're not sure if they're even a Christian. Right. A Christian is someone who has trusted that Jesus will pay for their sin, their crimes against God, and on the basis of that, they are made right with God. They are back replaced in God's kingdom in a friendship with God. Sometimes we call it a relationship with God. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, I, next, next week I'm getting on an airplane, you know, to fly to, to, to somewhere, Gilroy or California. Okay, well, I believe that that plane is going to go there, and the pilot can get me there, but I don't put my trust in it until I climb on the plane. Some of these people haven't climbed on the plane. They know all kinds of stuff, but they've never really entrusted themselves to Jesus for anything. And by the way, there's another angle to this. When you trust yourself, when I trust myself to the pilot, I'm in for the whole ride. Hmm. I'm going the whole way. I'm not getting out halfway. All right, 30,000 feet, no way. Same thing true with Christianity. I'm not looking for a decision for Christ. I'm looking for somebody to follow Christ for their whole life, to put their trust in him and then keep following him and never quit. That's what a disciple of Christ actually is. Now, they may not want to go back to church. That's the other question. It's because maybe they had bad experience in church. Maybe the people weren't pleasant to them. Right. But the, the fact is, one way or another, an individual person who is a disciple of Christ, who, who follows Christ as an individual and only as an individual, is an anomaly in the New Testament. It's the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, and the disciples did this, and the disciples did that, and whatever. They were a band of brothers. They were, they were family members that helped each other through thick and through thin. They stuck together. And this is really what pastors and, and, and church leadership provide for the community, a place, a family place for us to fight the good fight together and not alone. And that's why church is important. Maybe you poke around to find one that you feel comfortable with, but you want to make sure you don't feel comfortable with them for the wrong reason. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, th- that's, that's another issue, but um, finding a, a good community that speaks the truth and accomplishes discipleship in your life is sometimes hard, but that's what you're after in looking for a church if you're a follower of Christ. Yeah. Uh, Greg, I know you might have to go. Do you have time to stay one more segment, or oh, do you need to go? absolutely, sure. I'm All right, you. let's take a break. i, I got to take a break, and uh, I want to talk to you about uh, exegesis versus eisegesis and how we can maybe self-examine about that Sure. and how we get to the Scripture. This is the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason. You can learn more about Stand to Reason by going to str.org, str.org, and I'll be back with Greg Kokel as the Wednesday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. My guest is Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason, str.org. He's got a new book called Street Smarts. You can find that at streetsmartsthebook.com. And uh, we've been talking about different issues that uh, the book addresses and also that you can learn a lot about it at Stand to Reason. Greg, you know, one of the things I think Christians struggle with is what's called uh, eisegesis versus exegesis. Right. Right. What's the difference between those two? Well, exegesis is when you, you take the meaning out of a text, and that's the appropriate thing. <laughs> so when you read a book... Right. 
you want to figure out what is the author trying to communicate to me, the reader, okay? Now, um, there's a whole new way people read nowadays, a kind of more subjective, relativistic, postmodern way, and deconstructing the text and all of that. But that's, that's not the way we normally read. We normally read the newspaper, magazines, the how-to manuals, and even books. We're trying to understand what the author is trying to communicate to us. So we just go to the Bible with the same methodology, because the Bible, the, the library of books that we call the Bible, is, uh, is written by someone to communicate something important for a reason. And our goal is to figure out what that is they're trying to communicate. And most of the time... It's not that hard, especially when you think of the New Testament. It, it's as the reformers used to say it: the, the, the scripture is perspicuous. It has a certain clarity to it. Uh, not that there's some things that aren't mysterious, but characteristically, the, the people speak in a straightforward way in scriptures. Uh, um, now, um, the other thing, though, is it, it, what you called um, eisegesis, is is reading things into the text that aren't there, okay? And then acting as if the text is the authority of the ideas that you read into it, mm. okay? Now, I'll tell you one very common thing in culture um, right now, and this is, the, why did Jesus come? What was Jesus all about? What did he come to do? And he is construed, characteristically now, um, by many, even some in the Church, who I think ought to know better, as kind of a champion of social justice. Hmm. He came to give us, uh, to teach us to love and have us feel peace and help us all get along, you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, and then help the poor and campaign for the outcast. It turns out, uh, two years ago, I, I got so bothered by this characteristic misrepresentation. And by the way, what people would do was they take this notion that they have in their mind and then read it back into certain passages where blessed are the poor, for example, or I came come to bring release to the oppressed, right, or preach the gospel to the poor or something. So what they're thinking is, oh, oppressed, well, they've got a, many of them a Marxist understanding of what oppressed means in culture, and then they put that back into the mouth of Jesus. That's the way they read it. So that's putting something into the text <clears throat> that isn't there. And then they act like... <clears throat> Pardon me. This is Jesus' view. Yeah. Okay. That's the eisegesis part. And so I wrote this article two years ago, and it's available on our website, uh, str, stand to reason, str.org. And the title is The Legend of the Social Justice Jesus. And what I did um, is I, I read the Bible the ordinary way. I went to the Gospels, and I read every line and every word of every Gospel and isolating every reference to the poor and the outcast, and also to the reason stated by the people in authority, that is like his mother and the angels and, you know, the prophets that were, especially around the time of Jesus' um, Jesus' birth, and then also John the Baptist, those people, what they said, and also what Jesus said about the reason he came. And it turned out it had nothing to do with what we call now social justice. It had nothing to do with helping the poor. It had nothing to do with pe preaching to those who were economically destitute or those who were outcast. Now, did Jesus welcome the outcast? Sure. <clears throat> Pardon me. He wasn't 
separating himself from them. He recognized they are them as valuable people, but he was preaching to everybody. And if you remember in John chapter 6, you have Jesus just fed thousands of people. A whole bunch of them came back, the poor people, to get another free meal. And Jesus didn't like that. He chastised them for doing that. Um, no, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so the challenge is, if you actually read Jesus, you start at the beginning and read through, you're going to get a very, that's exegesis, you're going to get a very different picture of who Jesus was than what the culture sometimes characterizes him as when he reads, when they read in. You know, he came to preach to the poor. Yeah, and Matthew makes it clear, the poor in spirit, spiritual poverty, people who knew they had the need, like the tax gatherer beating his breast there in the back of the synagogue saying, mm. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the oppressed, who are the oppressed? Well, Peter tells us who the oppressed were, those who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus wasn't talking about economics, social structures. He was talking about spiritual oppression, which, of course, he, he solved by casting out lots of demons. So this is the problem when you read your preconceived notions about Jesus into the text instead of let Jesus speak for himself. Well, I, I think it goes, to the, it goes to the why he came, right? It's, it's for sure you should help people who are poor. We should be concerned about people, right? But right. the reason for that is for their souls, That's right. right? for their salvation. Yeah, now, the, the, the Old Testament prophets did speak to the issue of justice and injustice done to the poor. Yeah. But that they were poor wasn't injustice. That's Marxism. It's just that the poor were victimized easily, and they were told not to victimize it. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus did not care about the poor. I think he did. But he didn't talk about that a lot. He talked about something else that, for him, at that point in time, was much more important, and that was rescuing the world from sin. And that was the focus of his work, not the poor. You're listening to The Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Greg Kogel from Stand to Reason. STR.org is the website, STR.org. Uh, and uh, our number is 888-528-2557 if you want to give a call. Greg, uh, if people go to Stand to Reason, your website, uh, what can they find on there? They're going to find uh, all kinds of stuff. We, we've been packing that website for about 25 years with articles that I've written and my other team members, with videos, with training tools, like training videos, courses they can take. You're going to get things like, you know, access to Red Pen Logic, small pieces, larger pieces, just about and bits and pieces from our own broadcasts that, re, re, that relate to specific questions or challenges. They're going to get all kinds of stuff. It's just chock full. So uh, I just say go to str.org and take a tour. And you're going to see the do a search on something that's on your mind, and you're going to see lots of things that's going to help you out. Yeah, it's str.org. Correct. Yeah. Greg, you know, one more thing. What would you say is the biggest question that non Christians are asking today? When you do an event or something, you know, what is the, the question that is being asked today to challenge Christianity? <clears throat> well, that's a hard one to answer specifically because there's so many different challenges coming from different quarters. It a lot depends on the nature of the audience. Um, but I think that one of the big issues, and this is a very tough issue to deal with, okay, one of the big issues now is not so much the existence of God. That's, that's been around for a long time and still there, the atheists. Right. They're contingent, okay? Small percentage of the population, but they have, they're loud, you know, so they, they, make, they make a big showing. Um, but is the, the idea that even if there is a God... If he is the God that the Bible reflects, that tells them what they can or cannot do 
sexually, then he's not a good God. Hmm. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it, um, Scott. So things have become very much about identity, sexual identity or otherwise. I think that's, a, I think that's changed in time. We see yes, everything yes. as our identity. Yes, well, that's a, that's the vehicle for discussion. Yeah. You know, well, my identity is as a, you know, non-gender, non-binary. Whatever. My identity is as a homosexual or as a lesbian. That's my identity. And your Bible doesn't make room for my identity, and therefore it's not good. And so our task, and this is a harder task than we've faced on other issues, our task is, and I address it a little bit in Street Smarts um, in the in the chapter on evil. Uh, our task is to show that God is good, that his purposes are good, that he made us a certain way. You read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. God set up the world in a particular way, male and female. So men marry women and women marry men, and they become one flesh, etc. Why did he do it that way? Because that's the way humans flourish. Hmm. This is the way human communities do their best. And when you say no to that, then that brings all kinds of trouble. You sow to the wind, and you reap the whirlwind. And this is what people are experiencing. We need to tell them what God says to do is right, and it's not just right, it's good. It's good for you. And by the way, if that isn't the case, then there is no foundation for good at all. Right. You know, I think that that is something that people need to, and Christians in particular, need to really understand so that we can articulate it in a world that's going to ignore, like we said when we started, logic and reason yeah. uh, so often. But we have a faith of reason. Your new book is called Street Smarts. Uh, streetsmartsthebook.com is the website where people can get it. It is available September 12th. Is that right? That's right. All right. That's so, when it'll be shipped. They can order it right now and go to that website and, and take care of it. And they'll get some bonus stuff, too, at that website. Right. So you can get it anywhere, but uh, streetsmartsthebook.com is the best place to go because you'll get uh, some bonus features. Right. Right. Okay. Like well, I always look for the better DVD with the bonus <laughs> features, you know, somewhere. Sure. Right. All right. Hey, Greg, I want to really thank you for joining us on the Pastor Scott Show today. It was great talking with you, too, Scott. I appreciate it. All right, Greg. Thanks for being with us. All right, the book is called Street Smarts. You can go to streetsmartsthebook.com. You can also learn more at standtoreasonstr.org. A lot of great resources on there to really help you be more effective in sharing your faith uh, with the people that God has placed in your life. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be with you today, 888-528-2557. We have been talking this hour about sharing your faith. Our guest was Greg Kokel. You can get the podcast of our conversation at kkla.com or kprc.com, I think, if you're in San Diego. And uh, also, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, those places. What is, when you have conversations about Christianity, conversations about uh, what it is you believe, what is the hardest subject that comes up? like with somebody who maybe doesn't believe or somebody who's a skeptic, like where do you feel the most frustration in how you might respond? 888-528-2557. Or what's the hardest issue for you? 888-528-2557. You know, I think one of the key things to our sharing our faith is that we want to be 
Um, like he said, gardening versus um, always harvesting. There's always a point, right, where people acknowledge that they're a Christian, whether that happens because somebody invites them to say that, you know, at church or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, for some people, they just, they've already arrived there. They're already saved. But we focus so much on that. I think he's right that that matters. But the gardening, really the discipleship process, it matters. And it and it doesn't end when somebody decides they're a Christian because they have to grow, right? They grow in their faith. They grow in their understanding of the Scripture. And I think as part of being disciplers, we have different kinds of people who we might be working with, people who we're sharing the faith with, sharing Christianity with, who are not saved. And we have a reason that we would defend the faith and be ready to and share the reason for the hope that we have with them. But also that continues once somebody is saved. That continues because we want to help them grow. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to have somebody mentor you in your faith. You've, you're a Christian, and maybe you have been since you were a kid, or maybe it's something recent, but you've had somebody really teach you what the Word of God is about, or go through a Bible study with you, or maybe you were in a really good Bible study or small group or something. That matters, and the the tending to the garden is something that has to happen all the time. I think that's a big thing for our our culture and why we struggle is that we maybe we're afraid. Are you afraid? I mean, there's some hard questions. the The identity stuff is really hard because it's changed some things. You know, I'll give you an example. We have said in the church a lot. You know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Okay, but. And I understand that, right? That if you're uh, trying to share the faith with somebody or you have somebody in your life who's an alcoholic, you want to hate the alcoholism, but you want to love them, right? But what happens if they identify as the alcohol? I had a, uh, my dad's uncle is who it was, relative. He used to say, and this was a long time ago, this would fit in right today, but this was a long time ago. He would say, if you don't accept my drink, then you don't accept me. Like he equated the sin and the person and that, of course, with sexual identities today is a lot of stuff. I think it's not just in the sexual identity world. It's, it's a lot of different things where people identify as something, and that's where they get importance. That's where they get, you know, they feel like they're wanted or feel like they belong. And if that is a behavior, if it's a behavior in a certain way and I identify with that, or if it's something that's sinful, and then you say, love the sinner, hate the sinner, or hate the sin— the person hearing that hears the same thing. Oh, you hate me. See, that's a that's a pretty significant difference, I think, where I think that phrase used to mean a lot. You know, I think people understood what that meant before. I think that's harder today when people can identify as whatever they want, and often their identity is the sin, or their identity is a title, or their identity is you know, just something that is not the identity you're supposed to have, because the identity that you're given is an identity in Christ. The identity to cling to, the identity of who you really are, is that person who God really made you to be in him, who is uh, understanding and wants to follow him, and wants to live life according to the realities of this world. The number is 888-528-2557. What is the hardest issue that uh, you you might have to deal with if you've ever shared your faith. 888-528-2557. John in L.A., welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, Pastor Scott. I love your show. I'm a new listener, um, listening for about a couple weeks. Oh, thank you, John. And 
Yeah, and uh, what you just said a few seconds ago. Oh, there's, the, there's your there's your fanfare. New caller. <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, I've been being I have been uh, recently being mentored by an older gentleman at work. He's my mentor at work, and he's also a mentor. Uh, my faith, you know, he's teaching me scripture, and so I've grown a lot. And I just, you know, listening to your show, I just wanted to call and say that. You know, if you're an older person and you see somebody younger than you and don't be afraid to reach out and say, hey, well, you know what your faith is or because that person took a risk on me, you know, decided to bring up Jesus. And then now we've grown a lot together. He's, you know, teaching me a lot of really about, you know, Jesus and God. And he's going through a, a difficult time himself. He's actually uh, he's. Uh, you know, breaking away from his religion, um, and he's being a stronger Christian. Um, I'm trying to think uh, what religion, but... Uh, but he had another faith, and now he's given his life to Christ? He, he's been a Christian, but there's a, another denomination that I just... It just blew away from my mind right now, but it's not uh, uh, Mormon, it's... Uh, Jehovah's Witness? Can you name... Yes, yes, sir. Okay. So he's a Jehovah's Witness, um, but now he's been, his faith in Jesus just grew stronger, and he's, you know, stepped away from yeah. his, you know, and now he's going through this whole process where he's trying to step away, but still keep his relationship with his with his friends at the church, but feeling that they're kind of pushing him away. But he's been reaching out to me, kind of discussing this process where he feels like he's more closer to Jesus and he just feels like religion sometimes might take you away from your faith at times, but just speaking to other people can bring you back. So I just want people to know that if you feel like you need to talk to somebody, a stranger or something, don't be afraid because sometimes we might be going through the same thing. And uh, together, yeah. you know, as, as a community, we can find our faith and make it stronger. Um, yeah. And a lot of things, a lot of things, John, are relational. So as you are coming to yeah. Christ, there, you know, there are people that are not going to understand who are your friends uh, and often your family, and that part can be hard. That's a hesitation for lots of people coming to Christ is uh, those relational things. But, you know, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, he's the right way to go. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, for example, you have to get out of that. It's, it is a religion to nowhere. And it's not exactly. teach, it's not teaching about the way or truth or life, and that's hard to hear if you're Jehovah's Witness because you've been raised in it maybe or you've kind of accept this religion. But the religion that uh, we have, it's it's different. You know, if you're listening to our interview, yeah. he, he didn't like the word you know talking about faith because that can be sort of generic. That we have a conviction that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, and that when we make disciples, he's the one that we should become like, Jesus. And so this person who's in your life, I'm glad that he's there, but I'm glad that you're there for him too. And, exactly. And I you feel can... like I, I, I love that he came to me, and he was he took a risk, and, and I'm very grateful for it. I think it's a blessing in disguise because I support him and his in his journey through his faith and finding Jesus, his strength and the truth, the light. And so I think that uh, being a Jehovah witness for, he's been there for 20, 30 years and 
just reading scripture together, we found that you should never shun away anybody. Jesus went to those who were different from him, who were not, you know, and so mm. just because somebody's different than you, you shouldn't shun them away. Yeah. Uh, Jesus went out and, and went to, to save everyone, and he came to save us all. And so Jesus did it without sacrificing the truth or his principles. Uh, and exactly. I mean, you might get shunned, right? And not everybody uh, stayed with Jesus. People turned around and left, right? Uh, yeah. But he stayed with the truth, and that's important. John, thanks for listening to our show and uh, for uh, growing your faith. Stay with it and uh, uh, keep encouraging your friend. Thank you. All right, John, thanks for calling the Pastor Scott Show. You know, whenever you, you know, he said something right off the bat there that I thought was important. It's that when you see somebody, and you have this sense that maybe we can help each other grow. Somebody at church, somebody younger than you is what he was saying. It's usually that works better. And younger than you doesn't mean you have to be an old person. You know, you can be a college student and you're mentoring a high schooler, right? You can be whatever age. And maybe you're going to be in a situation when you get older, it doesn't matter the same. But usually people older have more experience. Maybe it's older in the faith. They've been a Christian longer. When you invest in somebody else and you go through the Bible with somebody else and you're intentional about it, uh, it changes you, it changes them, it strengthens both of you, and you look at, you watch each other grow and go through things in life. The people that I've spent that kind of time with, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing to see what God has done through people who've invested in me and also people that I've been able to invest in personally. And I want to encourage you to do it. If you're saying, I don't have anything in common, yes, you do. You have Jesus in common. Your brother or sister in Christ, that's that's your relationship. That's how it works. And, you know, you should trust that and trust that you can be used by God. And if you're saying, well, I don't know very much, okay, well, then find somebody who knows a lot more to go through the Bible with you. And you have two different coffees or lunches or breakfasts or prayer walks or whatever you do when you get together with that person every week. It'll it'll change your life, and you'll change the life of people in your relational world. And I think you know, when you take the time to listen to somebody else and where there are, maybe they're not a Christian, but they're curious. You know, this is a time of, of craziness in our, our world, but it also might be a time when people are going to say, I've got to have something solid. I've got to have something that's true. And that's what Christianity offers. Truth, the way the universe actually is, the actual reason why we're here, the actual reason why you were born, the actual reason for everything we have it in the Word of God, and we have it through Jesus Christ. I'm going to encourage you that way. All right, you can get the podcast. Go to kkla.com. Go to uh, wherever you get your podcast. Plus, you can follow us on our new Twitter account, Pastor at Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back with Hour 2 as the Wednesday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.